How many of you are ready for a word? Are you ready for a message? I, I've got one for you. Some of you are going to like, I'm just going to say it right now, some of you are not going to like this word. I'm just going to say it right now because there is something about this message that I believe is really important that needs to be said today, but I find it is countercultural in so many aspects. But sometimes those are the, the messages we need the most. And so here's what I want us to do as we prepare our hearts to receive from God and through his word. I, I want you to take a posture of receiving right now. I, I don't wanna just go through, you know, here's the double-edged sword of, I hope that you come on a regular basis and you find value in gathering in this environment as a community, seeing your friends, worshiping Jesus. I hope you do. But sometimes the other side of that is when it's a, a regular rhythm in your life that it can, you can take for granted. And you feel like I just show up and I put in my time and, and I went to church. And you can miss that God wants to speak something directly to your soul today. And so I want to take a moment and pray. And if you maybe feel comfortable enough to do this, maybe just turn your palms up to heaven. If you don't feel real comfortable, just take them right down here and just go, oh, this is like, God, I, I'll take it down here. I'll take it anywhere you got it. But there's something about posturing your heart to say, I'm not just going to sit through a message. But I'm saying, God, would you speak to me? So, Father, we come with an expectant heart. God, we come into this moment asking for you to reveal things from your word, your story, that can speak to our life and our story. God, I pray that you would open up our ears and our eyes. God, give us a posture of receiving the unique message that you have. And I pray, God, that you would help me personally to to be able to get out of the way of the things that you want to communicate. And so, God, I'm asking you to use this message to speak truth covered in grace to your people about the relationships that you want us to have. God, we are grateful for what you're doing in our church right now. We celebrate you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together. Come on, can you give God praise one more time? Hey, listen, on your way to your seat, I want you to fist bump a couple people, look at them and say, I'd swipe right on you. I'd swipe right on you. And that could have been really awkward if you looked at somebody that wasn't your spouse. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, hey, I'm glad that you're here with us. And if you are new with us, we're kind of in the middle of a series called Swipe Left, which is obviously based off of popular dating apps, a method of kind of choosing the person that interests you. And we're talking all about love, we're talking about dating, we're talking about marriage, the whole process. And sometimes, you know, you can even wonder, is this really a church thing? Is this really a, a spiritual matter? And I, I would say completely everything in me, it is absolutely a spiritual matter that you need to know that God created you for relationships, that God is the one who created this idea of marriage, that God's hope and desire is for each and every one of us to be able to experience companionship, to find that helpmate, to find someone that can walk with us in our journey. And so we're, we're talking about that process. Now, I, I just wanna say unashamedly for this series that the focus has primarily been on those of you who are single, and today is gonna continue in that. But I want you to say this, if, I wanna say this, if you're married, 
I really believe sometimes it can be even in a conversation that's pointed to those who are single that could spark something and remind us of what we have in our marriage and can cause it to grow and develop. And so I, I believe that God will always want to speak to us through his word, no matter what the topic is. And so today we're going to keep talking about this idea of finding the soulmate, finding the one. But here's the lesson we learned last week, right? It's not so much about finding that one perfect match out of seven point something billion people. We think of finding our soulmate. I would argue it's not about finding Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, finding the right one. I actually think it's more about finding the one or finding one that is right for you. I I really believe that God gives us freedom in that process, but this is what we learned last week, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that it really matters who you yoke up with. You remember that? Because you're an ox. And what did we say to an ox? We said, don't marry a, don't marry a donkey when you're an ox, amen? If you're new going, what in the world did I miss? You're gonna have to go back and watch last week. But here's what I wanna, I wanna go a little bit deeper today. Because I do believe God cares very much about how we, who we partner and hook up with and connect with for the rest of our lives But I wanna go beyond that and say, it's not just that God cares so much about whether or not they're the right person for you, but there's also the right steps to take. There's a right process to take in a relationship that leads to marriage. And I wanna talk a little bit about that today because I have found that sometimes we can get things out of order. And so if if you got your Bible with you today, I'm gonna be in Genesis chapter 29. So if you want to get a copy of your scriptures or electronic device, Genesis chapter 29, I want to talk about the order of love. That I believe that there is a unique and a specific order when it comes to everything that God has created. We see that from the very beginning. There was an order to creation. There's an order to everything that God does. So why would we think it any different that there is an order to love? I really believe that there is an order to love that God intends, and when we take the right steps, we can experience his blessing in them. But listen, when we get, when it comes to love, when we don't get love in the right order, our relationships can end up out of order. When we don't take the right steps in the right order. So that's what I wanna talk about today because our culture has an order when it comes to love and dating. There is a really clear defined order when it comes to this idea of finding that person, dating that person, eventually maybe marrying that that person. What does that order look like? Well, okay, here's just a picture of what it seems to look like in culture today. You find somebody, could be a dating app, could be at the grocery store, at the gym, at church, wherever. You find someone that you're attracted to. They may be attracted to you. You swipe right on them. They swipe right on you. Next thing you know, you're gonna go out on a date. And there's just, let's be honest, first date, always awkward, no matter who you are. Awkward, and you go to date, and it's just really uncomfortable, and you order food, and you're judging each other. Oh my gosh, he ordered that much. Oh my gosh, he, you know, and, and you're judging. And and, but as the date goes on, when there seems to be something there, when there seems to be something like a connection, like there's chemistry, there, there seems to be something that's like falling in place. Next thing you know, the thoughts going off in your mind are like, oh, I think I'll, oh, she might have everything. Like I, we get along on this, we like the same music. We this, we, and, and all of a sudden there seems to be like this thing that starts to form, that starts to grow. And if the date goes really well, there's always that real awkward, not sure, is he gonna try to kiss me? 
And I don't know that I want to kiss on the first date, but should I kiss on the first date? I don't know if we should do that. Is that not a good thing? Should I kiss? Should I not kiss? I don't know what to do. Do I lean in? Do I do the whole hitch thing and you come 90 and you come 10? I don't know. These are the things everybody thinks about, right? So maybe there's a little kiss and it was great. And then what happens inside of your, your mind, your soul, everything is exploding. Like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. This was awesome. And then you're texting the next day. And then you're like, you know, that was great. I would, I would do it again. But you don't want it on your cards too much. You just played a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, man, I could maybe be free on Friday. I don't know. And the next thing you know, you're going on a second day. And then you're going on a third day. And you're going on a fourth day. And everything's great. And all of a sudden, it's like you just feel like ooey and gooey inside. And you can't stop thinking about them. And next day, you're sitting next to each other. And you're holding hands. And you put your arm around in the movie theaters. And the next day, you're getting really close. And there's kissing. And it's not just a little peck. But there's kissing. And it's like real kissing that's going on. And it's getting hot. It's getting good. And all of a sudden, you're starting to wonder, I wonder if he's going to invite me to stay over the night. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. And when there's all that stuff and it's working, it's great. Next thing you know, you just, you take it to the next level. That's the next step. It's gonna, we're gonna get physical and sex and it's awesome. And then next thing you know, when that happens, you're just like, oh, this is incredible. This is great. And you're starting to feel even more and more. And then you're thinking, maybe I'm in love. I don't know. And so then what's the logical next step? Because we're having sex all the time and it's great and we're together. But when we're not together, all I can think of is, well, I wish I were with you all the time. And so someone says, we should live together. And then we move in. And then it's beautiful because in many ways you get to like play like you're married without the responsibility or the commitment. Isn't that great? It's awesome. Like we can, we can enjoy, be together all the time. We don't have to drive. We don't have to talk on the phone. We're just right there. And it's wonderful. But we don't, you know what? If she, if she you know, if I get tired with her, then, you know, I just, I can leave. And it's not that big a deal because my name's not on the lease. Oh, Oh, it's great, though, because we can play like we're married, but we're not really married. And then when that goes on long enough and everything's good and you're kind of like, I don't know if this just seems to work. Then after a while you go, we're missing out because of all the benefits of being married because there's tax benefits and there's all these things. We should just get married. And then over enough time, people just get married. Now, what I just described to you doesn't, doesn't illustrate everybody's relationship, obviously. But let's be honest. That is the primary order that we see in culture today. That it starts off in attraction, it gets physical, and then maybe over time it kind of develops, and then you move in together, try things out, kick the tires a little bit, you know, kind of just see if this is the right one, and then you get married if you've kind of been together long enough. This is the order we have in culture today. But, but I would argue that just because that's common doesn't mean that it's working or getting better. Because when you look at statistics today, what you find is that we're not actually getting better at marriage. There's still nearly as many divorces as there are marriages when they calculate the number of marriages on a regular basis versus divorces. So this is the message of culture, but we're not getting better at it. So what if God has a different order? Let's, let's talk about it today. Let's talk about the order of love. And so if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29, if you want to turn there. I want to read to you this story, and I'm going to read the whole thing to begin with. Uh, it, it's... A story of a guy named Jacob. If you've been around church, you've probably heard of him before. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. who's Abraham's grandson. And Jacob's a young man, and when we're gonna jump into the story, here's the family drama you need to know about Jacob. Jacob had tricked his brother and his father. He deceived them about some things. So they got really mad at him and wanted to kill him, especially his brother. And so his mom sent him away to go back to her homeland, pretty far away, to maybe meet up with some old relatives and kind of on his own to protect him from his brother who wanted to kill him. OK, 
okay? So that's kind of the basic story of Jacob. Jacob, as he runs to this distant land, happens to find his mom's brother. His name's Laban. And Laban, because kind of family, takes him in, and he begins to work for him. And this is where we're gonna pick up Genesis 29, verse 15 through 27. It says this. After Jacob had stayed with Laban, him, for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me, what are your wages or what your wages should be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel, she had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful. As Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. I don't even know if that's a compliment. It's like, well, you're better than most of the guys around here. So stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that so romantic? Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. I want to point out something that's just nobody will mention or say. It's really clear to me, Jacob was plastered at his wedding. <laughs> if you're Baptist, I apologize, but how else are you sleeping with the wrong woman on your wedding night, okay? All right, we, we, we see this, okay? He came and it says, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as their attendant. This is, attendant. This is one of my favorite verses in this entire story, maybe the Old Testament. I know this seems shallow. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. Ah! What are you doing here? Can you just imagine, okay? He's just after being drunk, probably waking up, rubbing his eyes, and oh my gosh, right? He says, so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Isn't it interesting that the deceiver was now deceived? See, the truth is, what you sow, you will reap. And so he got tricked now. And it says that Laban replied, it is not our custom here. Oh, you didn't know this rule? Oh, you didn't read the fine print? It is not our rule, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Gotcha. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also, oh, by the way, in return for another seven years of work. How many of you have been like, 14 years, I'm out? Oh, no one would say that, right? 14 years that he would have to work for Rachel. Now, in this story that we just read, let's all just agree, this is not commonplace when you think about relationships today, especially in the 21st century. I, I understand that. Okay, th this is, there's some things that are very cultural and ancient in this. But I do believe that if we could ask God and dig into it, that there are some principles, there's some patterns, there's some healthy practices that you find in the story that if we apply it to our process of dating today can be very helpful in the process. So I wanna talk about that. One of the things I noticed first, and ladies, um, I, I'm gonna speak to the men for a moment, but this ought to be something you ought to pay attention to if you're single. One of the things I, I think is really important to point out is that Jacob was willing to work for the marriage. Did you notice that? Jacob, he was broke, didn't have anything, got a job, getting paid. He wants to marry Rachel, but he has nothing. 
And I love that when he's asked, what should your wages be? He says, listen, I worked seven years for you, but I want Rachel. And I think there's something really important to, and I know we're 21st century and so it goes both ways and is she working, but I think there's something about, I wanna say this, a guy who is willing to work for her, and I'll say it the other way, a girl who's willing to work for the guy. Can I say this in dating? Sometimes we make it too easy. Sometimes we just skip all the steps and just jump right into it and we make it way too easy. There's something important about the process of working for it. Why does this matter so much? Well, here's what I think. If you have a guy who's willing to work to get her for the marriage, he's probably willing to work for her in the marriage. Someone who's willing to put in the effort, the time, the work. I'm going to show you that I'm a hardworking. And by the way, for all the dads out there, I'm like Laban. I have a fa- I'm a father and I have two daughters. And let me just tell you, I, I want to know that he's going to work for you. It matters, by the way, if you're, if you're curious. It matters. I want to know if he's going to work for you. And, I, and, I, and here's the thing, ladies. Can I just encourage you? Don't just look for the guy who makes the most money. That'll, he'll trip you up. Don't, don't think. Look for the one who's willing to work the hardest. Look for the one who's willing to put in the effort to work. And why did he have to work for her? Because back in that day, culturally speaking, if you wanted to marry someone's daughter, you had to pay a price, a bridal price. It was called a dowry. Now, I've been screaming this for years. I think we need to bring that practice back. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that because I got daughters. I'm just saying in general for y'all, we need to bring that practice back. And so he had to pay for the, I love it. He had to work for the opportunity to have her hand in marriage. That's what he had to do. And he didn't have the money. So what did he do? He worked hard and he saved up for her. He was saving. There's just such wisdom in that, okay? He didn't have it. He's gonna work. He's gonna save for her. But all he knew after one month there, I want to marry Rachel. He had fallen head over heels for Rachel. It says he fell in love with Rachel. Now, I, I don't know if you caught something in scripture in that exchange and um, I, I find this part kind of funny, but Jacob saw something in her that said she was worth it. And I wanna read this to you again. Why, why, was he so, why was he willing to work so hard for her? Verse 17 and 18 said this. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. It says that Jacob was what? Can you all say those two words out loud? Jacob was in, oh, he was in love. She's so beautiful. She's, she's not just, she don't have a pretty face. She's got a, she had a nice figure. That's what it says. I'm not even trying, I'm just telling you, I'm reading scripture to you. This is what it says, okay? He was in love with Rachel. He said, I'll work for seven years for you, uh, for in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. She was stunning. In some translations, it says that Rachel was a hottie. That's in some, tra- <laughs> it's in the King James or something, I think. I don't know, you just go look it up. I, just, I can't remember which one. I honestly, I, it speaks to, it speaks, I'm having fun, but it speaks to what we first feel when we have an attraction to someone. I want to show you this. He, he was like in love with Rachel. Now, I've got to be honest, every time I read this passage, there's something inside of me that just, I feel so bad for Leah. Did any of you feel that way? I'm like, it's like, it says Leah had weak eyes. I, no, no one really knows what that means. I mean, you could, you know, maybe it means she was hard to look at. I don't know. 
Most people would say that it was an old Hebrew idiom that we, we get in context. You know what idiom it means? Is they say somebody's, it's not that. It's like, it's like when we say, oh, he's pulling your leg. It doesn't mean someone's pulling their leg, right? It just means they're trying to get one by you. And so most people think in context, it's highlighting that Rachel, to Jacob at least, was more beautiful than Leah was. And because of that, he, he says after one month, just one month, you gotta go, no, back in this culture, you didn't go out on dates, you didn't go watch movies together, you know, in one month, he's in love with her. You know, it's hard to know when you're in love with someone. Oh, some of you are married, think back. To it's hard to know when you're in love with someone, isn't it? Because there's something inside of you, chemically. You know, we talk about chemistry in relationships. Do you know there's actual chemistry inside of you that goes off? There's things that happen in your brain when you are attracted to someone, when they're attracted to you. There's a, a magnetism that happens, and there is a release of some chemicals. They have found in, in attraction, when, when they've monitored people on MRIs and things, when they're attracted and they see pictures of people that they're attracted to, that there's a chemical buzz or a release that happens in their brain. There's two chemicals they found that get released. One is dopamine and the other one is epinephrine. These two chemicals get released inside the brain when you are attracted to someone. And here's what's interesting about dopamine. Maybe you've heard of dopamine, but dopamine seems to be the chemical that, that goes off as a reward for something that you like. It's a reward hit every time. I'll give you an example. We have a, our, our dog, Harley, when he was little, and he was real small, we, we had to potty train him. And so one of the things that we did for, and I don't even know if this is the right way to do it, but we would go to the same back door every single time. We'd take a Harley, come on, go outside and go pee. And then every time he would go pee, we would celebrate. Woohoo! Harley, such a good dog. And then we'd bring him back inside the door and we'd walk right over to the pantry and we'd open that door and we'd take a treat out and go, here you go, boy. So guess what he learned? Every time I go outside, I get a treat. That sounds great. Do you know how many times every day he goes to the door and whines like he's got to go to the bathroom, but he doesn't have to go? You go and let the, because you got to do it. You don't want him to go in the house, and you open the door, and he walks right outside the door and turns right around and stands at the door. Are you going to let me in? Are you going to let me in? And as soon as we let him in, guess what he does? He runs right over to the pantry and looks at you and goes, give me my treat, give me my treat. <laughs> guess what happens when you... Find somebody and you're attracted to them and you go on a date and, you, and things are going well. Guess what? There's chemical things firing off inside. That's why you start to feel a certain way. I don't know, but I just, when I'm with them, I get butterflies in my stomach and I just, my palms sweat and I'm just so excited to see them. What you don't realize is that there's a chemical in your brain firing and it's rewarding you. You're going, oh, you like that? It's rewarding you. So guess what? You, you start to want it. You want it. Do you realize dopamine is the same chemical that gets released when someone does a drug? One of the reasons why drug addicts is so hard for them to come off or get off of a drug is because their brain is going, no, I need another hit. It's like Harley going, I need another treat. I need another treat. So basically what I'm saying is, is that when we feel that attraction and we think we're in love, we may, maybe Jacob was in love. I don't know. Maybe he's super attracted. I don't know. But when... When we feel that, it's like we're becoming addicted to the other person. I, mean, I have this chemical, there's chemistry going off, neurochemistry going off 
and I'm addicted to the other person. Now that's great, but can I just tell you, each of the steps of today's dating process will release more dopamine in your brain. That first kiss, whoo, dopamine. Hold hands, <gasps> dopamine. Have sex, dopamine. That's what happens. And that's why, listen, that's why today, each one of those things, you just want more of. That's why you can have sex with them and afterwards you go, oh, I feel so close to them. I feel so in love. I feel so drawn to them. I can't think about work. I can't think about anything else. Oh, by the way, I can't eat. I don't even have an appetite. That's also chemically something happening on the release of epinephrine where all of a sudden you're losing your appetite because you're in love. I understand all of that. But here's what I want you to understand is that the longer that goes on, oh, by the way, when you get married, dopamine hit. Wedding, dopamine hit. Honeymoon, dopamine hit. But you know what we've discovered? The longer that you have that over and over, that eventually the essence of that wears off. It wears off. And one day you're just like, I don't feel like I'm in love with them anymore. I don't feel like, can I just tell you something about marriage? Because we're talking about the process to marriage. Marriage is not about feelings. Please hear this. It's not just, well, okay, everything's going well, so we just go to the next level, the next step. No, marriage is not about feelings. Marriage is about commitment. Hello, anybody with me? I need, I need all the married people to help me out today. If you're married, you need to help me, okay? Marriage is about commitment. It's not about feelings. Yes, I wanna feel in love, and yes, we can still have that kind of chemical romance that happens, that's great, even in marriage. But real marriage, you ask him if it's married, it's about commitment, it's saying, I'm with you for better or for worse. Dopamine hit or no dopamine hit. That we are together. And when we bypass the order that scripture teaches us over and over in this pattern, we don't realize it, but we're setting ourselves up potentially for a fall. So here's a great question. When is somebody ready for marriage? I mean, that's a great question. If there's an order to things, how, how long? How long is that process? What does that look like? Well, let, let me just tell you this. The Bible does not give specific parameters about dating. In fact, it wasn't even really a common practice in biblical times. The, the Bible doesn't give us, so here's the cool part about it. There's freedom. You have freedom in this process. Okay, you, you have freedom when it comes to dating and how long and how long should we be together, engaged before marriage and all that. You, you need to understand that, okay? There is freedom and, and we're all different. Everybody's at different places in life and you might be 20 and you might be 48 looking again, okay? There's all different in life. How do we know how long is the appropriate time? Is the right, so that's a great question. It's different. I, I would say as we look at the story of Jacob, that we should not put a specific measure of time and years on it, but see it in a different way. Jacob, he waited how many years to marry her? Seven. He waited seven years. I, I don't think that seven years is like a magical number. I don't think seven years is like the ideal number. However, in scripture, do you know what we find? That seven represents something more than just a number. That what we find from the beginning to the end is a number seven. Now, I think for Jacob, it was an actual seven years. But I believe we can look at this and we can 
understand this beautiful big picture of what seven represents, right? When God created all of creation in Genesis 1, there were seven days to creation. In Revelation, when Jesus is speaking to the church, he speaks specifically to seven churches. When someone asks Jesus, how many times do I forgive somebody that keeps hurting me? Seven times, 70 times, right? Because there's something about the number seven. What it represents is completion, perfection, You've reached the end, completion. That's what seven really means. And so maybe in the process, and you're in the process, those of you that are single, that it's more about fulfilling the process than it is a specific length of time. I'll give you a little insight into my story. My wife and I, we dated for a year. Tell me if I get this wrong. We were engaged for a year, and then we got married, right? Dated for a year. She said, I had to verify because if not, I told everybody it's in the 9.30 wrong. But we dated for a year. We were engaged for a year. Now, what you might not know about that is before that, we became best friends. Before we even started dating. When I moved back from Germany to Ohio, and we kind of got connected, and our group got connected, the truth is, I wanted to date her friend, and she was dating one of my friends at the time. And, but over time, as we hung out together, just as friends, we developed this really deep I mean, we were best friends, and everybody knew it. I feel like everybody around us knew, okay, you two just need to kind of like get together, and we were best friends, and there came a point in our relationship where we're like, hey, you know, if you don't marry anybody in the next five years, I don't know, we should get, and then it was like, why are we saying that? We're saying that because we could not imagine being with anybody else for the rest of our lives. And it developed into a dating relationship and into engagement, but there, was, there were steps to it. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna give you several questions to consider before marriage. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you, if you're single, write them down. There's seven of them, it's a lot. I know you can do it. You can take a picture if you want at the end. I'm gonna put them up on the screen. I want you to, what are some questions to consider? Now, does all this come from the Bible? No, a lot of it, some of it, but a lot of it comes from my experience in ministry. My, it comes from my experience personally. It comes, I have, I have counseled many couples who wanted to get married through pre-marriage counseling. I've sat with other people who are getting a divorce in our community. And so because of all that, hey, you take it for what it's worth, but I wanted to give you something practical. So I've got some questions to consider before marriage and I have seven of them, because that's, never mind. Okay, first one is this. Have you been together enough to develop a deep friendship? How long should we be? That, don't worry about how long. A better question to ask is, have you been together long enough to be, develop a deep friendship? Why? Because, guess what? When the dopamine hits wear off and the honeymoon phase wears off, you are gonna be with your best friend. You're gonna spend a lot of time with them. And there should be some real substance to your relationship, not just physical attraction, okay? I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. My wife is hot, and I think that all the time. I've got dopamine hits all the time, okay? But uh, I didn't say that, and the other one is for you right now. Anyways, have you been together enough to develop a deep friendship? Second one is this. Have you been together enough to have some real fights? Mm-hmm. You gotta have some real fights. I've done some pre-marriage counseling with couples that literally sitting there and it's like, oh, we don't fight about anything. I'm like, you just watch, I'm gonna get you to fight. I will poke and prod, I try to get them to fight, why? Because I wanna see if you know how to resolve conflict well. 
Or do you destroy the other person? Do you destroy the relationship? Have you said words that have just been profound and cut down? And like, this is, it's important. So you gotta have enough time to develop deep friendship, but there also has to be enough time, go through some seasons where there's some, there's some real trouble, okay? You work through it. Next one is this. Is there unity when it comes to faith, family, and the future? We talked about this last week some. Are you on the same page? Are you yoked together with another ox? Do you share the same vision and passion for your faith, for your family being a part of the community, the future, future planning? Well, I want one kid. I want 17 kids. Okay, we're gonna need to resolve this, and we're not taking an average, right? Like, you're gonna have to work through some of that stuff, okay? It's important to work through it. The next one is this. Are you financially independent? I don't mean you have a lot of money, when my wife and I got married, we were young, we had almost no money. We were broke, we were living in government subsidized housing, okay? We did not have a lot of money, that's not what matters. The real question is, are you ready to be financially independent? Because we learned in Genesis 2.24, last week, the week before, that what happens in marriage is that the, the man, and the same thing for the woman, leave their mom and dad, leave mommy and daddy, and then they join together and they become one with their spouse. That's not just, okay, it's time to leave mom and dad's house. It's also, it's time to leave mom and dad's wallet. Come on, parents, Amy, you got no backup. You, you, you're old enough to be married, you're old enough to pay your own insurance. Hello, you're old enough to pay your rent. You're old enough to pay for cable. Okay, okay. So are you financially independent? Give me another one. Do you have the blessing of parents and families? Now, I know that this may not always be possible because every situation is dynamic. And some of you could come from some really uh, challenged um, homes, and I understand that. But when possible, it's really important that, that you are having, you have the blessing of the parents of each other. Why? Because I tell people this all the time. You don't just marry the person, you marry their family. Okay, yeah, everybody knew that. Thoughts of in-laws just popped into your head, right? It's real. There's real challenges. It's important. And can I say this as a dad, right? Can I say this as a father? And I want to say this on behalf of all of the parents out there with kids or growing up, dating, and all this stuff. Do me a favor. Okay, especially men, before you propose, ask her parents. Ask her parents. Listen, do the honorable thing of going to them and saying, I want to marry your daughter. And you go, isn't that just like so old? Like nobody does that today. Let me just tell you, if you want to get off on the right foot with your future in-laws, do it. Okay, I remember when Lauren and Hunter wanted to get married, and Hunter reached out, and he said, I'd like to sit down with you, and we all knew it was coming. And, and he sat down with me and my wife. That's cool. I'm modern. I'm all for that. He sat down, and he asked for a hand in, in marriage, and I had a few questions for him. <laughs> and he passed. So here we are, okay? But, but there's something about the pro. I'm talking about the process. How long? It's not about how long. It's have you completed? Have you going through it? Here's another one. Uh, do you have the blessing of your spiritual oversight? Now, this is one that we don't think about very much today, but if you're part of a community, if you're in a church, if you're submitted to leaders, if you're submitted to your circle leadership, to your pastors, whatever, I would encourage you to ask somebody who's spiritual over you, spiritual oversight, say, hey, we wanna get married, what do you think? 
What do you think about our relationship? And we will, by the way, in this church, if you're a part of this community, okay, we have a lot of pastors. I don't do this very much, but we have other pastors, and they will officiate weddings. We're glad to do that, but we don't do it as like some kind of just service. We do it because we care about you and your relationship and marriages in our community. And so one of the things we do, it's a simple rule that we have, and, and, and we hold to it unless there's an extreme reason not to, but this simple rule is that you have to give us at least six months notice, and here's why. Because we will not perform a wedding unless we have done pre-marriage counseling. We're not just gonna jump in and, and preside over a union without having walked through some things with you. And so I would encourage you, this is really important, but ask and get spiritual oversight. There's something about getting under authority God's put over you that creates blessing in your life. And then let me give you the last one, and that is this. Are you ready to commit for life? Marriage is not the next step. Marriage is the final step in this process. And unless you're ready to say, I'm all in for the rest of my life, it's a decision It's not based on feeling, it's based on commitment, and it's important. These, these I just, this is just some advice of how do I know if I'm ready? Walk through the process, and if you're not, listen, I think Jacob might even tell us today, it's worth the wait, it's worth waiting, it is. Because there's an order to love, there's an order to it. I don't know if you saw it, but I was reading this years ago and God showed me an order to love in this that I believe is divinely orchestrated and maybe for our benefit today. I want to show you this. If you look at verses 20 and 21, it says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of what? Would you all say that out loud? Because of his love for her. It's like, have you ever noticed you're in love? Time just flies because he was He developed a love for her. Look at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to do what? I know it's awkward. We're in church, but say it anyways. I want to make love to her. I want to show you something because I believe Scripture gives us a pattern over and over. Not just here, but in other places. There's a pattern, but I see it even here. Let me show you that there's an order to love. What was the first step? We saw this. Jacob fell in love with her. What's the first step? Fall in love. Right? What happens when we fall in love? Let's be honest, half the time we don't even know. I think I love you, I'm not sure, should I say it? I might, might say the L word, I don't know. But what we really feel is an attraction to the person and we've got chemicals going off and we just feel like there's chemistry there and that will often feel like I'm falling in love and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We see Jacob, it said he fell in love after one month, fell in love with her. But here's what I've also discovered. It's not just the attraction There needs to be something deeper there. And what happened is over time, as he worked for seven years in the process, guess what happened? He developed a real love for her. You have to go back and look at verse 20. But it said after all those seven years went by, it said it went by in a flash because of his love for her. He fell in love with her. Now he has a love for her. It's not the same thing. There's a difference between attraction and affection. 
There's something different in your body chemically between what happens during attraction and affection. And what does it mean to develop a real love? It's not just, oh, I think she's so pretty and I just want to spend my time with her and he's so perfect. It's not that. And what is a real love? Real love is where it's not you make me happy. It's I want to make you happy. Real love is I want to serve you and I want to care for you and I want to take care of you and I want to be there for you and your dreams, I want to help you reach your dreams. And that's what it means to have love because love throughout the Bible really shows is sacrifice. It's commitment. It's I'll lay down my life for you. That's real love, not just attraction. That's what we say is falling in love. Oh, no, no, there's another level. It's, it's developing a real love. And then after commitment, what kind of commitment? After you say, I do, the third step was this. Then he made love to her. Verse 21, then he made love to her. He said, give me my bride, my wife, And after they had a ceremony, he made love to her. I want you to note the order of love that we see in Scripture. He fell in love, developed a real love, and then after committing, made love. Today, let's be honest, that order is all mixed up. We've changed the order. We've decided to do it our way, right? When I feel that attraction, there's some physical thing happening there then we'll just get physical. When I just I feel something, then let's just go straight to the physical. And what we do is when we buy, do that, we bypass the process that God has for developing the real love, and then we wonder why it doesn't work three years later into marriage. There's a difference. And I know some of you, I just wanna say this, if you're single and you're hearing this. He's talking about waiting for marriage to have sex? Yep. Can I just say this? I'm gonna say it out loud. This is a really unpopular idea. I get it. I know that. So you're like, this feels so old-fashioned. I feel kind of prudish, like, to wait. Like, is it that big of a deal? It's just sex, right? It's just sex. Is, is that all? Is it just sex? See, we say that all the time to justify it. It's just sex. It doesn't mean anything. You know, it means something. And so we've taken the steps of commitment first and then getting married and then making love, then living together, and we've reversed it all, and we said, no, let's just, we can just go live together, and we can have sex anytime we want, we can just pretend like we're married even though there's no commitment with it. Can I, can I just tell you something that I found fascinating as I began to look up a, updated stats about marriage and dating and cohabitation? You know what they discovered? People who cohabitate before getting married, the likelihood of divorce can increase somewhat, sometimes as high as 40%. What I'm saying is culture has a different order and it's not better. I know it's more popular, but it's not better. And this whole idea that it's, it's just sex and sex is just physical, can I push back on that and say, no, it's not. Sex is spiritual. Sex is spiritual. If you don't believe me, this one verse that we've just carried through this whole thing, Genesis 2, 24, I made reference to it. I'll read it again. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into what? The picture of marriage, and by the way, in the NIV it says one flesh, is that there's a coming together of a husband and wife to consummate the relationship. They, back then, the process was once you got Married, you said I do, then you consummated your covenant through sex. That's what you did. And it created some oneness. It's not just physical, it's spiritual. I'll give you a little example. 
let's just say that this is you and this is your girlfriend. This is you and this is your boyfriend. You know, we all started out like one of these at one point. You were an egg until that egg got fertilized and then it turned into you with all these desires and urges and attraction and chemical things going off. But we all started like this. And so this represents you, this represents your girlfriend, this represents you, this represents your boyfriend, right? And God made us as individuals. And so we're individuals. So this is, this is your jar, right? This is her jar, right? And, and this is you and your girlfriend. And when there's an attraction, there's a chemical Thing. You've heard of chemical romance. There's a chemical thing happening. It pulls you together. There's magnetism that pulls you together. And you go out and you have a date and things are going well and it's like you're feeling something and then you have a kiss and, and then sparks are flying, right? And then you're getting closer and closer and it's like, oh, this is great, but there's just something between you, right? There's a barrier between you, right? Because you're an individual. You're, you're, there's something about you. You're an individual. And one day things you want to take it to the next level. And so you decide, what would it look like if you came over and spent the night and we could spend our time together? And so you get into bed and she gets into bed. And then you mix it all up. Yeah. That's good. Dopamine hit. Hello. Just mixing it up in bed. It's awesome. I like scrambled eggs. Hello? Speaking of married people right now, just. I like, I like scrambled eggs. The Bible says that when you come together, not only in the covenant, but in the physical, that the two become one. It looks different, doesn't it? Now you're one. It's just one. But let's imagine that that's how your dating relationship's going. But then he starts to do some things that drive you crazy, and she's just nagging all the time, and you, know, you were living together, and you're, you're mixing eggs every single you know, a chance you get. And then, and then one day you just like, you stop feeling it. And you decide, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that this should continue. So she says, I, I want to move out. So I'm going to take what's mine, right? Fine, and he's going to move out. And okay, we do all that. And, and this, is, this is what you look like now. You see, this simple illustration is, is just to point out that when when we come together in one, it's not just physical. It unites a soul in many ways, emotions in many ways, spiritual in many ways. There's a oneness. God designed sex to bring us closer together and but not just two separate, but to create oneness. And when we want to separate, you can't really separate. That's why people that go from relationship to relationship oftentimes carry with them some emotional pain to the next relationship because they gave all of themselves to that person. And now I want to take what I can of myself to the next person, but they still have part of me. 
there's, there's a reason. Listen to me. I, I know this sounds so counter, but there's a reason why God gives us an order to things. It's to protect us. It's to create a oneness in marriage that isn't intended for you to carry from someone else in previous relationships into that relationship. And if Jacob were here, I wonder if he would say, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Because if not, you can go by whatever process you want. But, but when all the euphoria wears off, could we possibly, like Jacob, wake up one day next to Leah? I, you're not who I thought you were. This isn't what I thought it was. What happens one day when you wake up and realize all the feelings and the euphoria wears off and you're like, this isn't what I thought it was. Now, let me just be real frank. I know in today's culture, this isn't popular. I know for many of you that are single that you've already, you've mixed eggs with somebody else. Maybe several. And I, and I think in a moment like this, hearing this, and maybe for the first time, maybe you never understood it. Maybe it always just sounded like some dumb rule that the church has, but you didn't understand. It's not a rule the church has. It's what God has created for an order to protect you. Here's what I want you to hear today. Here's the one thing that unites us all because we're all messed up in this community. All of us have screwed up some way, somehow, whether it's through this, through other things in our marriage. Here's the thing we unites us is that there is grace and mercy from Jesus. There's not condemnation. Please, today, I, I don't want you to feel a sense of con- being condemned what I love, it says in Romans 8, 1, it says that, if, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but, but there is conviction of God's spirit. Why? Because he wants to move you in a better direction. And the thing I love about Jesus, the thing I love about his grace, there was a moment where some people drug a woman in front of him who was caught committing adultery outside of marriage. Do you know what Jesus said when he looked at her? He said, I don't condemn you but go now and leave your life of sin. And the picture of grace and God's love and his mercy is that no matter what you've done and where you've been, that there is a beginning again. There is a start over. There is God saying, I will give you a new beginning. I will create a new future for you. And so I don't know today whether you're married, you're single, you feel the weight of this. Maybe you look at, you're married and you go, man, we got things so out of order. And we just, we wanna do our best to, Live our lives to, in the order that honors God. If you're single, you're feeling like, I messed up. Please hear this today. You're not a terrible person. You're not an evil, wicked person. God's grace is here for you. His love is here for you. But it is important to respond to it and take a step in a new direction. So why don't you stand to your feet with me? I wanna have a moment. We could just pray. We could just we could just talk to God. Whatever God is speaking to you about. I don't know if maybe in your marriage there's some things that haven't been honoring to God. Maybe it's time for you to move in a new direction, to receive God's grace, to ask for forgiveness. Maybe in your relationship with somebody you've been dating, you haven't followed God's order. Maybe you never knew. Today can be a new day. And so, Would you just bow your heads, just close your eyes. Let's have a moment with God, a personal moment. Father, I pray for every person in this moment 
that God maybe feels the weight of messing up, failing. Maybe it's been multiple relationships. Maybe it's one, one time. God, I, I, I thank you that your grace can cover one time or a hundred times. And I thank you for your mercy today. And that you're a God that loves us, wants the best for us. And so I pray, God, right now, that as we take a moment, and maybe for some of you, the response in this moment is to say, God, forgive me. It's just real simple. When you feel that in your spirit, you just say, God, forgive me. God, I'm gonna change some things. God, I'm gonna create some boundaries. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create the distance that we need to. I don't know if maybe some of you are living together, not married, not even sure if you're gonna get married, and you're feeling convicted and challenged by this. I know it's not popular. I'm okay with that. I don't want there to be condemnation, but I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. And what does your response look like? The greatest response that we can have when confronted with our sin is to say, God, forgive me. God, help me to live a different life for you. And so, Father, I pray for the grace for every person that feels that today. And God, I thank you that you're a God that restores us. You're a God that can take us, even if we feel like, man, I have... I have given out too much. God, you're, you're, you're so big that you can make new with what you have. And so, God, I pray that today is a defining moment for some people here today to say, from this point forward, I'm gonna honor you, God. I'm gonna follow the steps that your word lays out. And God, I pray your blessing on relationships as we go through this. I pray your blessing, God, on marriages and those who are single, dating, engaged, God, I pray that we, as we honor you, that God, you would bless our community. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And everybody said together, amen. Can we just thank God for his word today? Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.